Did you fart, Alex? Uh, bliss. Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. I'm here, Your Honor. Excuse me? Bailiff? Oh, oh man, no. No, I'm sorry, Your Honor. I'm here for my hearings case thing. I host a podcast called Elton Reads a Book a Week. My name is Elton, and I read a book a week. Right. Well, that's nice and all, but... I think it is. You, uh, uh, I'd like to remind any listeners that might be in the courtroom that they can contribute to my podcast through me? Patreon. Dot com slash uh, Elton Reads a Book a Week and follow me on What's Facebook at Elton Reads Too Much. Uh, Twitter at uh, Elton Reads A Lot and Instagram at Elton Reads a Book a Week. I can contact you through all of those. What in the hell are you advertising in my courtroom? Uh, just letting people, uh, you know, interested parties. I apologize, Sir Honor, Sir. I'm, uh, I'm just, I'm here for my hearing. This hearing? Are you a lawyer? Defendant? What What the hell are you? I'm the defendant, and this is my lawyer. Is that a book? Correct, Honorship. It's the Reader's Digest Legal Question and Answer Book, published in 1988. Prepared in association with Hyatt Legal Services, it apparently represents a lifetime of legal questions answered in one book. I will be representing myself, and my defense will be comprised of the information I find and have found in this book. Son, I don't have a better way to put it, so here it is. Are you suffering from mental retardation? A book as a defense is not a defense, all right? I think you need to consider proper representation because that is the dumbest damn thing I've ever heard. Uh, If I may, Your Honor, I believe it was Thomas Jefferson that said, and I quote, during the contest of opinion through which we have passed the animation of discussion, this long-winded speech I memorized and can mutter like I'm on autopilot will buy me some much-needed stalling time. Right now, I'm panicking. I'll admit to you, dear listener, that I forgot I even had a court date and was not 15 minutes ago on a park bench sleeping off a bender. I was celebrating finishing this outdated book from the 80s. I'd like to welcome you to my very own internal dialogue, located just south of the self-deprecation turnpike in the heart of downtown dumbass. This, the inner recesses of my mind. Complete with mood music by Kevin McLeod at uh, incomtech.com. This little ditty is called Lobby Time. Yep, this is my personal retreat from the browbeating world, in which I muse, meditate, and parse ideas, quandaries, and dilemmas that affect my world and everyday life. Don't mind the porn. There's a lot of it. Years of it. 
Now, under the stupid gun, I have to build a rock-solid defense with no time. I should have been working on this long before this moment, but, I mean, come on. Look who we're talking about. Procrastination would be my middle name if I wasn't so comfortable putting off thinking of one until later. Oh my god, that was rough. If you're wondering how I managed to record my thoughts directly to audio, suspend some fucking disbelief, will you? It's a podcast, for God's sake. As for how I'm looking through this book while still talking to the judge, I memorized it, sure. Alright, so let's get into it. First, the side note. Suffice to say, I find the law fascinating. The intricacies of rules we've set up for ourselves is just sort of just short of insane. However, I never wanted to be a lawyer. Despite the lauded placement of the profession in our society and pop culture, it was never appealing to me. It seemed like way too much to fucking remember and dealing with a lot of stupid fucking people. And far too much fucking homework. Even though pop culture screamed at me that being a lawyer was the gateway to a McMansion, a trophy wife, and Aryan-level blonde children. Those respected professions planted in my mind from an early age. The trinity being doctor, lawyer, and architect. And their houses and lives were big and comfortable and always had a swimming pool. Always. Somehow, the world I occupied, the real world, was the single-story house close to railroad tracks, drove a beat-up pickup truck, and flirted with alcoholism. I didn't grow up in a multi-story house with a wraparound porch and an idiot friend who would let me drive his dad's vintage Ferrari. I'm not complaining. Just saying that a stupid Ferrari-lending friend would have made things a hell of a lot more easy and a hell of a lot more fun. Pop culture taught me that graduating from college and becoming a lawyer, doctor, and or architect was a surefire way to that life. What they never showed was the arduous and expensive-ass journey and the years of toil to get that house, car, and that rosy bush shit. Needless to say, being too poor for it then didn't help any more than being too poor for it now. So when I spotted this thick-ass book at an auction, I was intrigued. Legal questions and answers? Sounds like a quick and dirty legal education to me. Not that I'd be able to throw down with Atticus Finch anytime soon. The defendant is not guilty. Or deliver a crowd-stopping speech like Spencer Tracy's and inherit the land. Can't you understand that if you take a law like evolution and you make it a crime to teach it in the public schools, tomorrow you can make it a crime to teach it in the private schools? And tomorrow you may... But at least I'd learn some shit, right? Wrong. This isn't that kind of book, yet... It is that kind of book. It's actually pretty interesting to read, especially when you take into consideration that it was published in 1988, arguably the height of the Reader's Digest power and the weird space in the realm of law between better recognized equality and civil rights for minority folks and completely shitting on them. You know, accepting gay people and uh, totally shitting on them in every way too. Oh, and weird era-specific shit like Ferrari name-dropping it's filled with everyday legal questions from the obvious to the bizarre kind of perplexing thing only the 80s can deliver and their answers. For instance, are some kinds of marriages illegal? It turns out, yes. Get ready to throw up a little. Brother and sister, parent and child, grandparent and grandchild, aunt and nephew, and uncle and niece are not legal. Thank Christ. However, any blood relationship more distant than that is generally acceptable. Or if you're first cousins and get married in a state where that's cool, 
it's accepted everywhere. Same-sex marriage? Nope, no lawful marriage is acceptable. How about that? If you can find a state that says it's okay to bang your first cousin, everything is awesome. Yet two guys or girls in love? No fucking way. 80s folks, loving neon day glow, hating homosexuals. Then there are oddities like this. Is it legal for insurance companies to charge women rates that uh, are different than those that men are charged? The answer is yes, in most states. Whoa, shit, you might be saying. That's as sexist as a boss nicknaming female co-workers Chesty McHousework and demanding a sandwich after every full palm slap on their asses. And you'd be fucking right in thinking that. The book justifies it with, They're expected to live longer, so women are charged less for life insurance, but pay more for health insurance. I imagine it's because insurance companies back in the 80s thought vaginas were complicated and assumed that because a human came out of one, they should be charged double or something. Who knows? Still, as of 1987, Montana was the only state to prohibit rates based on sex in any insurance policy. 80s women had it rough on the insurance front. But make up for it on the outliving the sexist pieces of shit side. Yay, women. The world of 80s law and its practice that I imagined while reading this was a strange multi-level world of cocaine-filled hallways with people running to and fro, berating each other. And everything is on fire. And it's everyone else's fault. Tack on racial slur-peppered wallpaper and you'd complete the visual. I mean, with things like racist customers. I was fired because customers said they preferred to deal with a white beautician. Do I have grounds to sue? Well, if the business has 15 or more employees, they can sue. If that's the case, it falls under the Federal Civil Rights Act, so sue away. If they have less than 15, maybe the state can help you. Otherwise, happy racist firing to you. Visualize everything burning? Uh, maybe it's just me. Full disclosure, I thought the late 80s were days filled with back-to-back A-Team and Miami Vice episodes while people debated whether hoverboards were real or not. On a lighter note, you move into a place and a fucking disco opens up next door. Assholes filing by your window all night, decked out in body glitter, gold booty shorts, and blonde afros. Sucks, right? After Jill rented a house, a disco opened nearby causing her many sleepless nights. Can she break the lease? Did people open up surprise discos back in the day? As it turns out, there's a good chance you can break your lease under those conditions. If the benefit Jill received from renting the house, meaning peace and quiet, was destroyed as the result of the disco and the disco's opening. And as long as it wasn't completely and totally unforeseeable by Jill when she signed the lease, she might be able to get out of it without having to pay the rest of the rent. Are there really morons that ask this shit? Lyle went to a restaurant that advertised all-you-can-eat for $7.95. When he asked the waitress for a third helping of shrimp, she told him he could have chicken, as the shrimp was limited to two servings per person. Would he be justified in reporting the restaurant to the Federal Trade Commission for false advertising? The answer, of course, is probably not. They didn't advertise unlimited shrimp, you fuck. Probably hoping to avoid human cash drains like Lyle. They'd be guilty of false advertising if they had advertised the shrimp specifically. Are there actual people like this in the world? Does Lyle exist? Did he really exist? Is, is he 400 pounds trying to eat his way through legal loopholes? Do I exist? I'm getting off topic. 
Is it legal to have an open beer in my hand while driving? The answer, many states, including Kansas, Illinois, and California, prohibit open containers of alcohol in cars and other vehicles. You can be arrested for driving with an open beer in your hand or any other alcoholic drink on the seat beside you or on the floor. Is it weird that they had to clarify any other alcoholic drink? Like readers might be looking for a technicality? Who was reading Reader's Digest back in the 80s? Detail-oriented alcoholics? There were a few questions in here that I've always kind of wondered about. Like, Keith was driving on a foggy night and killed a deer that was crossing the road. What should he do? Well, in no way, shape, or form should he throw that good-eating roadkill in his back seat and take off. No. Nope, that's illegal. Instead, he should call the police and then contact the nearest office of state conservation or fish and game department. Depending on what state he's in, they might let him keep it after they examine him. So it's kind of like a consolation prize. A carcass for being honest. Honesty pays. Sometimes in the form of roadkill. Better than nothing, I guess. My three-year-old son Bobby was injured while playing outside at a daycare center. I've noticed before that the center has poorly maintained playground equipment. Should, uh, who should be notified? First question I had was, you noticed before? Why the hell are you still sending your kid there? Look, if the playground is a death trap, it's pretty safe to assume the child care probably isn't up to snuff either. Here's a pro tip. When there's a loose playground set foundation, there's probably a babysitter stashing meth underneath it. And, I mean, there's a couple topical questions in here, too. How, how about a quick one, all right? Uh, one, uh, it's a one-question quiz. Get your pencils ready, and if you're driving, pull over. Or don't. It's your forehead going through the windshield, not mine. Okay? Uh, ready? Does the Bill of Rights apply only to U.S. citizens? The answer is, yeah, no, kind of. The, the, the protection provided by the Bill of Rights also applies to aliens. There is one exception, however, the right to bear arms. The good old second. It doesn't apply to aliens. Everything else applies to everyone. Everyone. So if you're anyone at all, feel free to enjoy the privileges of the rights set forth in our illustrious Bill of Rights. But leave the guns at home. We'll raise our own regulated militias and bear arms, thanks. Seriously, it's fine. We appreciate the sentiment, though. I mean, bringing all your firepower and shit. But uh, it's cool. We got this. Oh, well, how is this going to help me in my court case? Shit, I have no fucking idea. I, I, well, I'm a citizen, right? Of the United States. Well, maybe this... Oh, Jesus. I don't, I don't know. I have no idea. Scott made a provision in his will that Beth would receive his 1986 Ferrari when he died. A year later, Scott traded that piece of shit 86 Ferrari. He traded in for a brand new panty-dropping 89 Ferrari. Now, if Scott dies, does Beth get that new car? Um, no. Beth isn't entitled to receive the 89, since it's not the one Scott designated in the first place. Do people really need to be told these fucking things? Because someone says you can have one specific thing, you are not entitled to all things that are roughly equivalent. The fucking thing has a serial number, a vehicle, a vehicle identification number. It's not the same damn car. Bet's an idiot. Case closed. The car theme actually uh, springs up randomly among the more laid-back legalities of prison avoidance, like um, 
after Cecil's sports car was stolen from his garage, he rigged the garage door with a booby trap gun. When an intruder tried to get into it, it shot him to death. Can Cecil be held responsible for causing the intruder's death? Want to take a fucking guess? Of course Cecil can be charged with manslaughter. Knocked together death machines are capable of deadly force. What else was the intent? Scare him away by putting holes in him? Deadly force may only be used to defend someone's life or protect a person from serious bodily harm. You can't booby trap personal property with ad hoc cartoon killing devices. These were commonly asked questions in the 80s. What the hell did I narrowly avoid by being born later? Garages rigged with shotguns and pulley systems? A quick little interjection that may actually help you and or somebody else out later. Is bail the same thing as a bond? Yes, basically the same thing. Both terms refer to the sum of money given to a court to release a person who has been arrested and to help ensure that he or she appears at their trial. When you show up for the trial, the bail is returned. If not, the bond is forfeited. Then they call Dog the Bounty Hunter, who tracks you down and shouts Bible quotes into your ear while he cuffs you. Now is it true that when a person is arrested, they are entitled to make only one phone call? No, people. No. You are entitled to as many phone calls as necessary to arrange for a lawyer to represent you and to arrange for someone to post bail for you. Keep that in mind the next time you're brought in for public intoxication, okay? Speaking of public intoxication and the legal system, here's a list of courtroom do's and don'ts for you to mull over when you're chained to a tattooed maniac at the police station. Sorry, my police station imagery is limited to what I've seen in movies TV, police comedies, and dramas, I try to avoid frequenting. <clears throat> I try to avoid going to those fucking places. Now, the list. 1. If you must go to trial, attend court proceedings as required. If you've been subpoenaed, you could be jailed for not showing up, alright? If you're, if you're a plaintiff or defendant, you could lose your case by not caring enough to show up. 2. Arrive on time to the fucking thing. 3. Dress in clean, neat, conservative clothes, i.e. church clothes. You might want to skip the wife beater and yoga pants. It's a killer combination at Walmart, but here it's a guilty charge. All right? Don't try to speak to your... Number four, don't try to speak to your lawyer while he's questioning witnesses, listening to testimony, or addressing the court. Five, never argue with your lawyer in front of the judge and jury. If you have something to flip out about, it's best to do it in private. Six... Bring a pen and paper to write down comments and insights and draw dirty pictures that occur to you during the court proceedings so you can occupy yourself and not talk to your lawyer while he's trying to do his fucking job. 7. Be respectful to all participants. Shouting, you goddamn liar, will probably turn everyone against you. I mean, let's face it, if you're in a courtroom type of situation, you need all the help you can get. 8. Speak in a strong voice so the judge and jury can hear you. 9. Don't argue with the lawyers questioning you. If they act improperly, the judge will handle that shit. 10. Answer all questions truthfully. If your lawyer objects to a question, don't answer it until instructed to do so by the court. What the hell? Oh, great. Shit. Great, I ran out of speech. What the hell am I even talking about now? And Babe Ruth shakes his hand and says, I don't know whose penis this is, but I wish it was mine. Son, I don't know what your problem is. But my hearing, your honorship, it, it wasn't my fault. Look, I was tired. I have a new job. The hours are weird. I was 
it was just the Dunkin' Donuts drive-through for God's sake. It's not the system. I don't know what right? the problem not is, that, but that makes awful. it better. I mean, look, I wasn't in a car. That probably, all right, that probably needs some explaining. But no well, one was hurt between you and me. I don't think anyone could see the uh, lower deck. If you know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> I mean, pants. Who hasn't forgotten them from time to time? You know, a dick's a dick. I mean, this, no, I mean, this is America, right? I mean, Son. MAGA and, and flags. I mean, that lady over there, she knows what I'm talking about. Oh, come on. It's all over your face. You're running late. What coffee talking about pants. I'm not the first person, hearing. and I won't be the Let last. Let me finish, okay? damn it. I swear, you've ridden my last nerve, son. Do not interrupt. Sorry, Judge. Sorry. As I was saying, this hearing is about... This hearing is about a dog bite. A dog that bit Mr. Johnson. Are you a witness for Mr. Johnson, the plaintiff to my right, or Miss DeWitt, the defendant to my left? If, no, if, but, but your honor, I, you are not here regarding a dog bite in Mr. Johnson, I suggest you take this offering of my last bit of goodwill and get the hell out of here, or I will order the bailiff to take you into custody, wherein you will be booked for contempt and remanded to one of our fine Rhode Island prison facilities. Do you understand? Rhode Island? What the fuck am I doing in Rhode Island? Bailiff? I hope you enjoyed this episode of Elton Reads a Book a Week as much as I've enjoyed making it. Uh, please follow the podcast on Facebook, uh, Twitter, and even Instagram. And, uh, and or, you know, share it with a friend, a family a member, stranger. I'd greatly appreciate any and all of that. If you really, really like it, feel free to contribute to its survival on, on Patreon. Of course, I would be extremely grateful if you did. Until then, please, read a book, will you? I mean, don't let them die out. All right? Thanks. Bye.